Welcome to the Balanced Ambition Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Southam. Here, we delve into candid conversations with entrepreneurs, exploring both their business journey and their secrets to maintaining mental well-being. As we navigate the balance of ambition and inner peace, I hope you find insights, inspiration and invaluable takeaways in every episode. Thank you for joining us. Dan, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, I'd like to start actually by asking you to take us right back. Tell me about your your early years, your school years, and then how you progressed into work. And then then obviously we'll build through to what it is you're doing now. But take take me right back. Tell us about you. Yeah, sure. Matt, fantastic to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Pleasure. Um, uh, yeah, what an interesting question. It's so rare to get asked about those early years. Uh, so for me, I grew up in Swansea in South Wales and really sort of fell in love with the beaches there, kind of golden sands and dramatic cliffs, really cold water, which tends to keep the, uh, the tourists away. Uh, and yeah, went to school to a, a comprehensive called Oakfa. Good, good luck pr- pronouncing that, the Welsh, <laughs> the Welsh word. Uh, so, you know, really kind of standard childhood, really in, in you know, Swansea and Played a lot of sport, played played uh, hockey and football and uh, spent far too much time on, on the beaches. And then, uh, yeah, university, went to Exeter, studied history and French. Um, one, thing I, one thing I would say actually about, about my childhood, I remember really clearly sitting in a geography lesson, gosh, at about 12 years old uh, and hearing about climate change for the first time and realizing without dramatic change, we were going to lose this beautiful part of the world, kind of more the Gower and the beaches there than Swansea itself for all its, uh, for all its great points. Uh, and just realizing, you know, without dramatic change, we were going to lose that part, but also, you know, within my lifetime. And so that kind of stayed with me ever since that. And I didn't know what to do about that back then, but sort of when we get to the mother tree part of this conversation, that, that will loop back in, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, went to university, studied history and French simply because they were... Th- things that interested me at the time. Mm. Uh, spent far too much time at university, uh, you know, drinking, chasing girls, playing football, <laughs> all the normal things. And just never really yeah. thought of being an entrepreneur or any of that. And just was on this kind of path that I think my dad's probably set. I think I was just living how, you know, he said, go to uni, have, have fun and get a 2-1. And that's what I did. Uh, and left and had a couple of jobs that I really, that really just didn't fit with me. I did recruitment for three months and was awful at it uh, <laughs> and left. And then I did, I did sales. I was selling, um, it's basically what Google News is now. Uh, and Google okay. News existed back then, like a rival to Google News and was awful at it. I And really at that point in my life was thinking, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm like 22, 23 thinking I have to make this work. It seems so ludicrous now looking back, but for, you know, I had that in my head and just wasn't working at all and got fired from that after five months. And it was like this release. I loved it. Suddenly I was like, oh, I'm free, free of that job. <laughs> uh, and then, and then spent for the very first time in my life, spent a bit of time thinking actually, what do I want to do? Like these two jobs didn't work mm. for me. I didn't give it any thought at university. So yeah, what do I really want to do? And um, renewable energy at that time really interested me. This is the kind of early 2010s. I got really lucky. I got onto a graduate course at an uh, energy company called Over Energy. They're huge now. Back then they had about 90 
employees. And that graduate course meant I could just work in all different parts of their business and got really kind of a deep understanding of how this energy company works and they're buying part of their energy mix was renewable energy. So there was that kind of social, yeah, uh, social aspect. Yeah. But yeah, just got to work in all sorts of places and, and really loved that kind of entrepreneurial and that fast pace uh, that OVO was in the in this kind of early 2010s, kind of 2012, 2013 point. And then kind of mid-20s started thinking, okay, this is great, but it still doesn't, it's still not quite there in terms of purpose. There was something missing. Yeah. And I had this exceptional uh, mentor at the time called Craig Morley, who encouraged me to read a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah, and I know. And it completely it. changed my life. There was this point in there, you know it, fantastic. Yeah. It, it completely changed my life. There was a point in the book where it says, you know, think about your funeral and and what people are saying and also what, what you achieved in your life. And, you know, really quickly, it's, it's obvious it's not about, the stuff you have or the clothes you wear. It's about how you make people feel and, and the actions you take. Yeah. And it just completely changed for me. And so uh, I set up a social business, which was called Good Company. We were connecting volunteers with the elderly. We ran that for about 18 months. It failed. Like I was so scared of failure in my mid twenties. Uh, and it felt like working with, with the handbrake on, which is an Arsene Wenger saying, I think, I'm sure other people have, have said it as well, but that's why I picked it up. But yeah, every month wasn't sure if we were going to get paid. We, we designed the, this thing in a meeting room and then spent 18 months trying to prove that it was going to work. And clearly it wasn't, but just learned so much of that process. And when, and when sort of it finally, you know, we realized this isn't going to happen. Uh, yeah, there were tears. Like I cried on my kitchen floor and my, my now wife, then my girlfriend sort of like looks absolutely fine and it was it was you know no one had died we just tested something and it didn't work and it was like this massive yeah. release of, of of energy and you know some amazing lessons i realized you can't just design something in the meeting room you have to get out there and design it around the people you genuinely want to help yeah and, and be willing to change what it is to deliver them genuine value to, to be of genuine use in, in their life so that was just such a fundamental lesson. And also just realizing it's okay to fail. Like it's okay to try stuff. And oh, it's, yeah, it's um, really liberating in a way to to learn that, isn't it? You know, because we are all incredibly scared of failure because I think growing up, you know, we're, we're praised for all the good things we do and, and told off when we get things wrong. Um, but, but actually, yeah. as long as you learn from that failure, actually that can drive you forward. I think that's exactly it. And liberating is the word. I think you've nailed it. And I think, you know, partly our school system, I won't won't go too much into depth for this. It's all about getting the grades and getting the A and then, you know, going to university, et cetera. But actually real life doesn't always work that way. And I I think we we, we kind of miss a bit of that creativity and that failure for the right reasons. You know, it has to be we have our morals and our values in the right place. And then any failure within that sphere is actually just good because we're figuring out different ways that, you know, you only have to get one thing to work out of all those failures for it to, to yeah. become a success. So that it was just such an amazing um, moment and, and ended up writing a few books uh, and, and got headhunted and, and, and tried a few just little businesses, just setting them up on my own, like doing a bit of coding and, and just, started figuring stuff out in, in much more of a fluid way. And then, yeah, got, got headhunted for something back then, which was called The Big Deal. And they wanted me to launch 
something called look after my bills, which uh, I think they liked my sort of entrepreneurial and energy background and I became, uh, I became the sort of third, third shareholder in that business. This is kind of middle of 2017 and look after my bills. We would, we were automatically switching people's energy. So whenever your energy price went up, we'd automatically switch you to a better tariff. And, you know, the energy companies, we had this thing called the loyalty tax, which if you didn't switch, the price kept going up. So you ended up paying more for a commodity, which you could get for cheaper, for less, and actually often better customer service as well. Yeah. And, and so it just, I think it was the right time, right product. And, and we got really lucky. We, we, we grew really quickly. We had um, 10,000 customers in the first six months. And then we went on Dragon's Den. Uh, we were Y Combinator backed after six months as well. And then we went on Dragon's Den uh, and um, yeah, hit it out the park. We, we had the best ever deal uh, on Dragon's Den in terms of equity to, to money raised. That, that, it just went crazy. We had, I think we got 40, 50,000 customers overnight when that got shown. Wow. We had 100,000 customers at the end of that year. Like just, just this kind of crazy rocket ship that it was amazing to experience. It was completely nuts to actually try and keep the thing together. Uh, <laughs> but we did it. We had a great team. And then uh, Go Compare uh, bought us. Um, so a good, good return for the Dragons who, who invested, Jenny Campbell and, and Tej Levani, and, you know, for good return for other investors. Uh, so that was that was the kind of look after my bills journey, and actually while working there, it became quite a comfortable job. You know, we'd established it. It was it was a um, it was doing kind of twenty million plus revenue a year by that point. So it was a okay, really yeah. established. And my wife became pregnant. We've now got a, a two and a half year old boy, Theo. It just really made me question, you know, where we're spending my time and what was life going to be like for Theo when he's my age, when he's in his mid thirties. What, what's the yeah. world going to look like? It's gonna be so different. It's gonna be so. It's gonna be so different. And I want him to grow up in a world where he has similar opportunities that I've had, and uh, you know, the wild, the amazing wildlife that 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 we share this world with is still available to him when he's in his thirties. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it just I just felt so compelled on, on on this, and yeah, quick a quick look after my bills, and just started interviewing people, just started listening to people of all walks of life. Um, in terms of how the climate crisis impacts their life. Yeah. And my wife actually came up with the idea of something called the climate challenge, which this is, this is well over two years ago now, uh, which was basically groups of about eight people enough to share pizza, hopefully a vegan pizza, but enough to share pizza over a month altogether going through about 30 actions to live more sustainably. So for me, it was it was like running free focus groups. And for us all going through it, we were discovering ways to live more sustainably. And, you know, we did all, all sorts of things. We got rid of single-use plastic, which was much harder than it should be. And uh, we went vegan for the day, which was easier than I thought it would be. We looked at our carbon footprints. And two of the things that, two actions that we did really stood out for, for me, as well as lots of other people who went through these uh, these challenges. We did five challenges, groups of eight people each time back then. And those two two actions were where our banks were investing and where our pensions were invested. For me as well, so one percent of of my pension was in tobacco, two percent was in uh, oil and gas, BP and Shell, one yeah. percent was weapons, one you know, about half a percent in gambling. Just just things that there's it I would didn't never change. And yet every single month, some of my hard-earned cash had been going there. It was like, oh, this is, this is, this is ridiculous. 
And then we looked at the banks and, and we banked at Look After My Bills with, with Lloyds. Lloyds, um, they've put 14 billion into oil and gas since 2016. So since the Paris Agreement. Wow. So it's over 2 billion a year going in. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's all very well getting people to green energy tariffs and bringing renewable energy into the mix through, through consumer choice. But if Lloyds and actually there are worse actors than Lloyds continue to put those billions a year into that industry, then we're not going to move the needle. So that's really the spark that, that Mother Tree started with and launched Mother Tree in March um, 2021, I want to say. 2022, 2022. <laughs> Got to get my dates on this, you know. 2022. Yeah. And we were originally sort of B2C. It was a um, what we call our money carbon calculator. I'm pretty sure it's, it's definitely the first in the UK. I'm pretty sure it's the first in the world, but it will show you the carbon impact of your money so if you have ten thousand pounds with with lloyd's or with barclays it'll show you actually how much that means in terms of carbon uh as a result of holding that money in a, in a current account uh, and that was okay it was a real struggle for the first year it felt a bit like pushing the rock up the hill and we were talking to customers yeah. and um earlier last year we pivoted to b2b and that's where it's really taken off so we now work with with businesses to make sure uh, their their money, so their pension banks and bills is is uh, as low carbon as can be, but also they're getting the most possible savings out of those switches. Yeah. And then we do the switches on their behalf. So we use the sort of knowledge we built to look after my bills to make sure those uh, those switches go really smoothly. So um, yeah, that's a bit, of, a bit of my history. Sorry, that, I feel like I've talked far too long for that question. But, no, um, that I mean, that's there's a couple of bits that really stand out to me actually the um i guess back back to your early years one that geography lesson learning about something you know learning about the climate change and that obviously stuck with you even though like many people we all sort of follow the standard path so you you go to uni and you get the because that's what you're meant to do and we all follow that and actually you you mentioned that the school system and I, I don't don't blame teachers here at all you know they've they I've got a couple of sisters who are teachers but you know they're judged on teaching children to therefore pass a pass an exam and and that's what they do but it, it needs to go further back the, the the whole school system isn't set up necessarily for thinking outside the box you know the the entrepreneurial spirit coming up with something new it's about learning something and then proving that you you know it um, and you, you you touched on on that, and I think that's sometimes where you know entrepreneurs actually it it niggles away at us, doesn't it? Yeah, we're working in other jobs, but actually there's that little niggle of is this actually what I want to be doing? Um, and and talking about you know what someone would say at your funeral is actually a really good way of of thinking about it. But those early years obviously did have a, an impact on where you are today. Is that that fair to say? I think so. And I haven't done a huge amount of introspection on this. What, what I, I do just want to say, one of my sisters is a teacher. She's one of yep. my favorite people. So this is not a knock against teachers. I think they... they no, no, two, two of my sisters are teachers, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, they work in a very hard system and I think they do incredible work with kids. So it's not um, it's not the teachers themselves. Uh, so yeah, I think... Um, I haven't done a huge amount of introspection in terms of my early life. I think it was, you know, like every kid, probably, but certainly those in Swansea, we played a lot of sport. We we, yeah. we didn't really want to go to school. But the weird thing is I always liked learning. I, I loved I loved the pressure of exams. I actually enjoyed it in this really bizarre 
probably like the one person in the UK, I'm sure there are others, but you know, I haven't heard many where even at university, I loved the focus. I loved that. Like, here's a deadline. Here's something you have to deliver against. And, um, yeah, I enjoyed that, but it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't promote that kind of out of the box thinking or that, you know, how can we be creative around a problem that we've noticed? Mm. Uh, and that's okay. Like, I think there are different paths for different people. Uh, but yeah, I think from, from my side, I got really good at cramming knowledge at that school. If you're asking me like what my, what my score youth, youth gave me, uh, I, I got good at being disciplined. Like I played hockey at quite a high level and to do, you know, you have to, you have to be disciplined to do that. I think that's a yeah. really good thing to have. Um, I had a really great family and I've got an amazing family to keep me grounded and uh, it's very, very lucky to have that. So I, you know, I definitely won the birth lottery, but I'm incredibly thankful for, for those piece, for those things. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely helped, uh, helped get, get me to where I am. Yeah. But you certainly now feel like what you're doing has more purpose. You're, you're a purpose driven, uh, business or organization. Um, and talk to me a little bit about why you think it's really, uh, blossom since you, you've launched out to that b2b you know do you think businesses uh maybe one of my insights would be that businesses are a little bit more conscious that actually the 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 message they're putting out needs to match with the the public opinion of actually if you you're saying you're a good business you know try, try and prove it please to us and and that you know by using something like mother Tree, that's one way that they can do that oh 100 this is this is a proof point to show employees and potential customers, you know, we are one of the good guys. We are yeah. on the good, yeah. You know, we're doing good for for both the planet and for and for our employees. And, and employees love that. So part of the thing that we do for businesses is we we show them the video of the impact that these changes are having. You know, by going mm -hmm. to a bank or a pension that's genuinely investing in in these businesses' mission, suddenly it lifts the whole company. And we see that we we, we do uh, reports with employees, questionnaires where they you know they actually. It, it adds to their positive experience to the company. And I'll give you one example. We work with this brilliant uh, Facebook marketing agency called Quick Fox Labs. Two female founders, Emma and Amy. Um, Emma and Amy have never had a, a female uh, boss in their in their careers before launching Quick Fox Labs, which is just ludicrous. Yeah. And they recruit out of uh, prisons and out of foster care. So their whole their whole sort of ethos at this company is diversity and and equality and social mobility. And then we looked at their bank and their bank is investing billions into all white male boards, all white male C-suites, and you know, just really undermining their, their, their ethos. And so we switched their bank, we saved them money, we saved them carbon, we saved them time from looking around all the accounts and is it gonna be right for our systems and yeah. stuff, we did all of them. But the thing that they got real value out of is that these the bank that they're now with proportionally puts more into uh, diverse and um, diverse boards, diverse leadership teams, and into social mobility, into making sure we have a society where, you know, wherever you're, you're, you, you, you come from, you have a chance to end up doing what you really want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really important point. I mean, you touched on it ju just now, saying you know, you know, you you were lucky with the way you were born and brought up and family and things like that. And actually, I think sometimes, you know, why you know that's not we couldn't help that but actually yeah i was born into a family my parents together i was brought up nicely 
but actually not everyone is that lucky but that isn't their their fault but actually you know but they're already starting the race a little bit behind um and actually yeah anything we can do to actually empower people to make the most of their life and I, I think that's that's a really important part as well possibly yeah understanding what do you want to do and then enabling people to be able to do that whatever the starting block was that they they initially had yeah i think that's a really a really important part of uh of this journey of life and it's realizing yeah you know really did win the the birth lottery i mean if, I think the stat is, and I would need to check this, if you're earning more than, I think it's £25,000 a year, you're in something like the top 5% globally. Yeah. I think it's something which, like that. Which, which seems <laughs> crazy, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. Yeah. I mean, the average wage in the UK is, I think, at north of 30K now. Mm. So we're in an incredibly privileged position. And for me, it's it's... What I'm really interested in, one of the things is how can we change the system so that it's it's fairer for as many people as possible? And one, you know, one of those ways is actually through the finance banks and pensions uh, at the forefront of that. Yeah, I think um, I want to ask you one question that I've I've asked a couple of people on this podcast, and everyone's given a slightly different answer. the 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 end game will be be the same, but obviously you've got uh, you know, and I'm not going to put any words into your mouth, but you, you've obviously got quite an, an environmental background. You're interested in in climate change and uh, try and reduce our impact and that. If I was to say, well, why should we care? What would your be on? Yeah, someone you start talking about, you know, climate change, and someone says, "Oh, I'm not bothered. Why? Why should I care about that?" What would be your answer to that? Well, I think climate change and the biodiversity crisis—they go hand in hand. They are the two biggest challenges humanity's ever faced, and there's a couple of other challenges that we're facing. So we've got the threat of nuclear war, which has come back. We've got AI, but of those three, there's only one that each and every one of us can do something about, and that's our impact on the planet. So that's just for me, the, the sort of base level. The second is thinking about what kind of planet do we want to retire into? So we're all, you know, we're all on this, on this rock together. In 30 years, I, I'll, I'll never retire in the traditional sense, but in 30 years when retirement's available, yeah, you know, what, what, what kind of planet is it going to be? We have a choice on that. It could be, you know, we can't go outside because of toxic air. And our summers are 40 degrees plus in the UK and our rivers are polluted worse than they are today, which is hard to, hard to think that's possible, but it is possible. And that is kind of the default future. That is kind of the future that we're on unless we have dramatic change here. It doesn't have to be the future. We can genuinely change that. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's that environmental point, but for somebody else, and you know, work hard to understand what are they passionate about. But it could be that you know they love they love fishing, or golf. Well, those things are going to be impacted unless they're willing to change now. The other really mm. cool thing is actually these changes aren't as hard as perhaps they're sold to us. And often there's other advantages. Often by switching bank, you actually save more money, right? So we switched yeah. one business bank, we saved them thirty thousand pounds last year, like. And we did all the work for them. You can save, you can save yeah. significant amounts of money by doing the right actions. And we're, we're often told there's this green premium. That's true. That's true on some products. You know, you pay more for an electric bike than a, that's not, that's not a great example. You pay more for an electric car, perhaps than a petrol car yeah. these days. Um, but for banks and for pensions as well, in terms of returns, 
if you get it right, we're not seeing that. We're seeing actually you no. benefit more. So there's a financial return. There's a kind of what kind of future do I want to be in place? And then also, you know, if, if you do care, even a modicum, even like just a kind of one pixel of caring uh, and you think, okay, well, given I have some influence in this game and I realize, you know, my carbon footprint is part of that. Well, as, in, as a UK uh, consumer, the average UK individual has about 10 tons carbon footprint per year for all of their actions, except for banking and pensions. And when you add in banking and pensions, it adds another 10 tons, right? So if you, wow. if you, if you care, <laughs> care even a tiny bit, just getting the finances right could save you money, could reduce carbon and could change the future. Yeah. And, and quite a, by a massive amount as well. You know, I, I think that that's possibly, and I've had this conversation with a, a few people, is that maybe as individuals, we often feel like, look, my impact isn't going to make much of an impact. But I guess it goes back to the whole marginal gains and the, the 1% theory and, and all of this. That Actually, if, yes, just me doing something won't make a difference. But if me and my neighbor and the neighbor, the other side, and you and your friends and my partner and their friend, suddenly actually it does become quite a big group and we can have an impact. Exactly. I love that. I love that because it can feel quite isolating. But, you know, why should I do it when, when my next door neighbor isn't making these changes? But you only need 2% of a, of a society to, to change that society. That's the tipping point. Malcolm Gladwell in his books talk about it. It's the tipping point of the number of citizens who need to make a change for it to become uh you know a, a new part of that society so it doesn't take that much and right. we're, we're far more connected on these things than, than we think uh, and we've seen there's a street in london last year this this uh couple they're artists they put solar panels on their house they thought this was such a good idea they turned the whole street into a solar panel factory everybody on that street who wanted solar panels they they got it sorted out that street mm. doesn't pay anything for their energy anymore right <laughs> They went through the energy yes. crisis, but it's like they, they're winning here. And, yeah. and then, you know, there's a, there's a ripple outside one house and now that whole street. And as we get more streets doing that, suddenly that energy revolution takes off. So it doesn't take much. And I think actually by doing these actions, and I've certainly seen this and I'm inspired by people who do it, you inspire other people. Yeah. So it might just, you might feel like one person, but actually, it, it, as you've said already, it very quickly grows. Yeah. Yeah. It is those sort of marginal gains and the compound interest effect and all of that of just everyone doing a little bit, a little bit better. I want to move on to, um, I suppose you and your, your business. I often find entrepreneurs who are running a business that they're really passionate about. It almost becomes all consuming because it's hard to switch off between your, your, your passion and your likes and what you're interested in and your work life. So how do you balance that? How, how do you make sure you do switch off? It's such, it's such a challenge. It's such a challenge. I am, um, and I love, you know, I love balanced ambition. I think that's such a good name, uh, you know, good aim as well. And yeah, it is, it is a real challenge. My wife and I work hard at it. She's also an entrepreneur. So, you know, it's, it's, we're kind of lucky in one sense because we can set our own hours so we can, yeah. We're very, you know, we're both very, very clear on the hours we're going to dedicate, and and I'll get to that. Um, but also, you know, both of us being entrepreneurs, being some stuff comes up, but we just have to deal with it, and it feels like at the cost of of the relationship at times. So it takes real work. 
Um, how do I how do I manage it? First, I'm intentional. So every month I I have goals. It's all there's always a family goal. Okay. Oh, awesome. I check in with those goals and I make sure you know. For me, it is about. There's no point doing what I'm doing if I haven't got an amazing family. It's Jules, my wife, and my son Thea. If I don't get to spend quality time with them now, like I don't want to look back in ten years and think, oh, I built a, a, a good business. If I'm lucky enough to do that, if the condition, you know, if we made that work, I look back and think, but it was at the cost of my family. Like that's not a cost I'm willing to pay. So no. you know, I, I make sure that is really front and center. Um, what that means is, so at four thirty every day. My wife and I, we, we down tools. The laptops get closed. If possible, the phones go off. It's not always possible, but, uh, you know, that's we aim for it. And there's the three of us, we have we have time together at about seven. One of us will read Theo book and put him to sleep and we'll both be back online on, on emails and stuff for, for, you know, a bit more in the evening. And then we try, you know, as much as we can, we try and have sort of Friday evening and Saturdays off. Um but yeah, it takes balance. And the thing that the thing that my wife and I really connect on is long walks. And yeah, a combination of, of our companies plus having a two year old has meant that's been a particularly hard. Uh, <gasps> we have yeah, we just have to be really strict. Like we are going on a two hour walk like, at least once a month just to have you know to be able to talk a lot of that stuff out. So that all helps. Uh, but it's a constant balance, right? It's a constant balancing act. Uh, so yeah, yeah, great question. Love, love the name of the podcast. Cause I think that is what it's all about, isn't it? It's about having uh, it, something of purpose, but also without, without sacrificing, you know, the, the family and the amazing other things that going on, go on in life. Yeah. Because I, I think so many entrepreneurs are passionate about their business, whatever sector they're in. And it's very easy that that becomes all consuming. And it's quite often with, I certainly know with, with families, um, you know, your partner and things like that, you, you almost, you get to the stage where everything's about the business and you, you not take them for granted, but you become complacent that actually they're always there. They're always there. But actually, it's the same. If, if you don't invest in your relationship, it's going to be the same as your business. If you don't invest in your business and the time, things start to slip, things start to fail. Um, and actually, you need to take stock at that much earlier. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Look, thank you so much for talking to me today. I've actually really enjoyed our conversation. I've enjoyed learning about what it is uh, you know, that the business does and how actually as businesses, we can make an impact um on on behalf of, of the business but also on behalf of our you know our teams and and, and you know the, the staff that we employ whether that's via pensions or or i guess even on a you know business side actually ensuring that our team are more engaged with what we're doing and understanding that actually we're not just saying we're we're a good company we're we're doing good and we're i suppose position not position ourselves correctly but actually act on that as well and and uh and make the right choices so yeah thank you i want to finish actually just one one final question someone starting a business so they might be where you were you know mid-20s or early 20s working a job they're not too sure about but they're thinking of maybe doing something but they haven't quite figured it out what would you say to someone looking to start a business great question i think the best thing, and this is entirely based on my own experience, so feel free to chuck this out as advice, but the best thing that I did was work with incredible entrepreneurs. 
So I was lucky enough to work for Stephen Fitzpatrick at Over Energy. I was lucky enough to launch Good Company alongside Craig Morley and then uh, lucky enough to to uh, launch Look After My Bills with Henry DeZoot and, and Will Hodson. And there's this, there's this sort of story that's sold to us that you can just launch a business in your 20s and it'll be amazing. And the reality is, is a, you know, it's a very different to that. It's grit and... You know, there were a lot, a lot of boring jobs that you just have to get done to make the business work. And I honestly think one of the best thing I did was become the sort of second hand, the right hand of these amazing, well, particularly Craig, Will and Henry of these amazing entrepreneurs and just learn from them and absorb from them and understand, you know, what are they doing that creates successful companies? And I, I, yeah, just, it was just like the best apprenticeship I could have had. So, yeah, I would say if you did one thing, go and find an entrepreneur that you you really think is onto something, and you know, try and get in early. Try and get in so that you're you're that sort of second, third person higher, so you can really yeah. learn from them. Yeah, I I think that's fantastic advice. I think we should all act like sponges. You know, so many people get caught up in the the hustle culture of we're business owners, we know it all. No, actually, you can always learn something. And I think learning as much as you can, learn, learn from their mistakes. You know, you mentioned making failures or making mistakes. We've all been there. The more you can learn from other people, the, the better the odds are that actually your business is going to succeed. So I think that's great advice. Yeah. Thanks. Dan, thank you very much for joining me today and enjoy the rest of your day. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Balance Ambition Podcast. I genuinely hope the stories inspire you as much as they inspire me. If you found value in today's conversation, please share it with a friend. And remember, by subscribing, you won't miss an episode and it would truly mean the world to me. Stay balanced and I'll see you next time.